This podcast is sponsored by Low No Drinker magazine, created to help you live a life less intoxicated, whether that's for a night, a week, a month, or a lifetime. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Sober Rebel. I'm Louisa Evans. This series has been designed to highlight the positives of sobriety and I invite my guests on to talk about three things that they've noticed that have improved for them in sobriety or things that they've done that they'd never have considered doing as a drinker. And I'm so excited today to be talking to Jodie, otherwise known on Instagram as Sober Flourish. She is over a year sober now, one year, one month but her story is phenomenal. I've seen the before and after pictures and she's going to tell you in this episode about some of the amazing changes that she's noticed with her relationships, with her health, with her anxiety, and also some changes to how she approaches her work and career. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed talking to her. So Jodie, hi, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? I'm very, very good. So just to start things off, tell me a little bit about your drinking and what led you to go sober. So my drinking was what I would class as very normal at the time. Looking back, it was probably far from it. I would drink generally three or four times a week out of the seven and probably tell people I just drank at weekends yeah. <laughs> because that was the normal element of it. I would be a sort of, we'd go to the pub, um, we'd have a few beers, but then I would always have a bottle of wine waiting for me at home. Every single time I had a drink, I would always make sure that I got a bottle of wine to drink once I got home. Even if we'd been out to a party and we'd not got home until gone midnight, I would always make sure there was a bottle of wine for me to open and then beg and plead my husband to stay up with me, listen to music until 3am if the boys were out. <laughs> so yeah, it was um, a weekly thing, absolutely a weekly thing. But when I say that, three or four times out of seven, that's a good proportion of the week, I think. And on those days, I wasn't drinking. I was thinking about it. But we, we loved the pub. We spent a hell of a lot of time in the pub with the kids when they were younger, especially my eldest. And our lives revolved heavily around drinking. And at the time, didn't realise it at all. Now, I'm not one of those people that kind of hit a rock bottom. Had a moment where I thought enough is enough. I think I was probably the type of person that was massively in denial, either in denial or thought it was just completely normal and there was nothing wrong with my behaviour. Because the reason why I ended up stopping drinking was actually on, and I know I talk about this very regularly, a 100-day challenge. I set myself a goal to go without alcohol for 100 days, and that was purely to lose weight. It was nothing to do with alcohol, nothing to do with the fact that I thought it had got out of hand, there must have been an undercurrent there that I thought I needed to be, have a bit of a break from it, perhaps. We always label it as a detox, don't we? Yeah. When we're talking about a detox, it's generally, and from my perspective, is to lose some weight. It's not to get the toxins out of my body, give my brain a chance to recover, as I know now. Um, it was always around, let's see how much weight I can lose. And yeah. I know what has always happened for me in the past, going to swimming clubs and all that sort of thing. The only time I've ever lost weight is when I've not drank because it was three nights religiously every single week and it was red wine so yeah. there's a lot of calories in red wine and when I sit there and I drink the red wine and I've had too much I would then sit and gorge on snacks late at night to try and maybe sober myself up a little bit no inhibitions not a normal volume of snacks either um it was almost like my time to scoff <laughs> and class it as me time 
So the scales would never move whilst I was drinking. So that 100 day challenge, we just got back from an all inclusive holiday with the family. In that 100 day challenge, I'd kind of immersed myself in podcasts and um, kind of like quit lit, but via audio book, because at the time I was again, trying to lose weight, I'm out running heavily overweight, but still trying to run and listen to these audio books to try and keep me on the straight and narrow. And it was actually in listening to other people's stories where I started to recognize issues with my behavior or recognize similarities with my behavior also. And yeah, so I think there are a good probably 10 or 15 of those podcasts of people saying, this isn't normal. This is what made me stop. This, when it got to this stage, I knew I got a problem. I'm thinking, hang on a minute. You're saying that you knew you got a problem when you started to sit and drink on your own. Well, I used to do that at 17. <laughs> and that was kind of like, do you know what I mean? For yeah. me, I realized all of that because it's all I'd ever known. And then I happened to stumble upon Alan Carr's Easy Way to Quit Drinking for Women. Now, I'd read one of his books, oh gosh, when I was 24. Yes, that's right, 24, when I got with Dale, because he didn't smoke and I was a heavy smoker. Yeah, I read his book too, To Stop Smoking. Bloody worked. It worked. It stopped me from smoking. And I was a 20 a day girl. Finished work. And I would go to the shop and I would get £10 phone credit, 20 embassy number one and a bottle of red wine. And that was my that was my thing. That was my thing throughout my early 20s. So when I was drinking the wine, I'd obviously sit and chain smoke in my flat on my own. Anyway, so I, I read his book and it did work with me. Kind of crept in a little bit after I had my first son, but that was it. That was done. It was kind of like a couple of facts when I had a drink and that was the law. So I thought I'm going to give it a go. But I put quite a lot of emphasis around this book, I think. Because I'd already read one of his and I kind of thought, this is going to be the one. This is going to be the one. I'd almost delayed listening to it a little bit because I was worried about what the outcome was going to be. Because for me, it was just going to be a 100-day break. Yeah. I thought, sod it. How? I mean, it's not going to stop me from drinking, surely. It'll be fine. It'll just keep me on the 100-day track. And I remember reading the last part of it or listening to the last part of it. And there's a part in it. Did you say you've read that book or just the smoking one? I haven't read that book, but I do have a friend. I read the smoking one and I do have a friend that didn't want to read the last chapter of the Alan Carr smoking book because he knew he'd stop smoking. And you'll know yourself with the with the um, industry you work in. There's a lot of repetition in there, the kind of hypnosis side of things. And that's generally, I think, the the reason why kind of it works how it does do. But yeah, so I read the last part of there. And again, it was very much similar to the smoking one where you have your last cigarette. This was kind of, if you've not already stopped drinking, have your last glass of wine. And I was running down the lane and and it sort of said that you now are now to say out loud that you will never drink again. And I remember shouting it out loud like it was I was being filmed in some sort of movie that I will never drink again. But from that moment when I got home, I was in this slump, in this real kind of negative bubble and I remember my husband Dale saying to me what is wrong with you why why are you so sad and it was because I knew something had switched in me it was very Mm. very bizarre and that was only at 30 days into the 100 days so it, it was almost everything was battling against what I knew had just shifted in my entire being as woo woo as that might sound I knew something had shifted so I was kind of like hit this this grief spell of what the hell have you just done to yourself? Because I knew, and I don't know whether this is possible or whether, again, it's just something that I've kind of packaged up myself, but it shifted and I knew from that moment on, I was never going to drink again. It wasn't even a case of I'll see where I get to at the end of the 100 days. I was done. 
because I'd mm. up to that 30 day period and I'd had breaks from drinking before. I'd read things like Sunshine Warm Sober, all those sorts of the, the, the kind of traditional quit lit. I'd read all of those on previous breaks. So I think it was this 100 day period, everything just kind of collided and at the right time. And I remember sending Terry from Sassy Sober Mama a voice note. Because I know we were talking earlier, weren't we, about having sort of sobriety idols in our early days and whatnot. And and Terry, absolutely, one of those. And I sent her a voice note and said to her, I, I know this feels too soon, it sounds too soon, but there is absolutely no way that I'll ever drink again. So that's kind of where I got to. So it was meant to be a 100-day challenge to stay off the drink so I could lose some weight. And it ended up being this monstrosity. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you been sober now? Uh, just over a year, coming up to a year and a month now. Oh, well done. That's amazing. And when you talk about that, being scared to want to commit or admit that this is a decision for you, I think I did that resetting thing in the same vein because there was a part of me deep down that knew if I got this right and sobriety stuck, I would never drink again. And that part of me was the bit that was sabotaging me in the end. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does make sense completely. It's like deep down, you know, and at some point there's just something that clicks, isn't there? And I didn't know when that was going to click. I think it was about 60 days for me, but I kept saying to myself, no, it's too soon. You don't want to kind of jump the gun, do you? So I kept using the phrase with myself, I'm confident, but I'm not complacent. I wasn't under any illusion that maybe a thought was going to come into my head or that I was going to be triggered. I knew that was a possibility. But I was just really confident that this decision was the right one for me. And that's how I felt. It wasn't kind of, I'm never going to drink again. I'm bulletproof now. Nothing's going to penetrate this. I'm going to I'm going to be plain sailing. It was really hard. And it has had its moments of being really bloody hard. And I think that's important to kind of always kind of call out that you may appear confident in your sobriety, but it doesn't mean that it's easy. And I think the the, the biggest thing, and I'm sure we'll probably come on to this in a little while, but the, the, the hardest thing for me was the, the whole emotional side of things. It's the, yeah. the whole emotional side of things of who the hell am I now? Who am yeah. I? Who do I like? Yeah. What do I do? What do I do in my spare time? Because for me, even when I was taking the the couple of breaks here and there, I'd set myself a three-week challenge here, three-week there, usually leading up to a holiday to get a bit of weight off. I didn't know what to do with myself. I would take myself off to the bedroom at like half seven, as soon as the kid was, like my youngest was in bed. And I would sit on my phone with a cup of tea. I didn't know, and I was mardy, and I was grumpy about all of it. I didn't know what to do with myself. I had no idea. And that was, I think, another changing point that I just can't help but feel like this was my time because nobody taught me to put habits in place, new habits in place. Nobody taught me distraction tactics. No one taught me that I needed a tracker. Nobody taught me that I needed to learn how to sit with my emotions and that sort of thing. I would pick up bits here and there from kind of like the Instagram sober community, but there was never like a a one-stop shop, like a voice that sort of said, right, to get through this, this is what you need to do. These are the fundamentals. I think it's quite easy to access that sort of thing now because even just in the last year for me online, in the Instagram space specifically, people are are creating hubs of information. I mean, I know I'm working on something myself, but it's that not necessarily one-stop shop, but having that information readily available because really it's a toolkit, isn't it? 
Get some distraction tactics. When that craving comes, because it will come, be aware that those cravings will come. Learn about what those cravings are and why they're going to come. And it kind of goes off in like a big spider web. But once you've kind of taken the time to digest those touch points and understand why you're feeling what you're feeling, what you can do in those situations, here's a community you can talk to about it so that you know that they're normal and you're not alone. It's never going to be easy but it's easier when you've got all of the information. And I think that we, and we were talking about at the beginning of this, is we spend a lot of time putting things in place. We've obviously got full-time jobs as well as this to help other people. But for me, I'm very passionate about giving people the tools and the knowledge and the understanding as quickly as possible so that they know that they're going to succeed. When I get a message from somebody and they say, I just know, I think you're going to succeed because I remember that feeling because it is a shift. It's a weird shift and I don't think you can you can really explain it. But when you know, you know, you're not trying, you've got this mindset. I often will say now is you've got to change your mindset from I'm really hoping I'm going to get through the weekend without a drink to I'm going to fucking nail this. There's not a single thing is going to make me drink this weekend. You have to shift your mindset. Absolutely. Yeah. You're talking my language. (laughs) But our job is to think better thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And we can choose our thoughts. And a craving, even if it does feel strong, is at the end of the day, just a thought that's in your mind. And you can choose to believe it, you can choose to act, and you could actually choose to ignore it or find healthier ways to swap it for a different thought. It's amazing. And once you challenge that, once you have those tools in place, you've got the power. Yeah. And you have to you have to be your biggest cheerleader. You absolutely do. Community is fantastic for support, but you've got to believe ultimately that you're going to do it because nobody else is going to do it for you. You've got to really, truly believe in it. And that's something that's massively changed for me this last year is the self-belief without a doubt. And do you think that's come from quitting drinking as well, that ability to believe in yourself? Completely, because it's, it's freed up so much time. So, so much time. I, I The way I was thinking about it last night, actually, is that say I was working on a project at work or maybe a fitness goal at home or something like that I'd be on the ball probably from Tuesday because Monday I was still hanging from the weekend before yeah Um, Tuesday I'd get into it Wednesday I'd get into it Thursday I'd get into it Friday if I'd got past the Thursday night I'd be getting into it so four days out of those seven I was able to progress with something but then I would completely and utterly reset again and it isn't like resetting back to where you ended on Friday because with a hangover that takes up 99% of your brain, doesn't it? Trying to kind of get rid of that and function, etc. So yeah, it absolutely has. I've removed that and been able to be consistent and clear and have that clarity seven days a week, every yeah. week, every month. So yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. So I always ask people to prepare three things, three things that have changed for them in sobriety. That could be in how they feel or what they're doing, but things that are different to when they were a drinker. So what's your first thing? I think the first area, and I'll say this because it's possibly been the, had the biggest impact, is around my health and fitness. I'm going to try and not throw 20 different positives and sneak them all into one. But from a health and fitness perspective, I've again, had that time to show up for myself. I have now managed to get more than one weekend under my belt of, I count calories, that's that's just the path that I chose to kind of get to lose weight. So 
I'm no longer getting to a weekend and ruining that diet. I'm able to join a gym program and know that I'm not going to cancel because I've got a hangover. I can arrange to meet a friend for a power walk and know I'm not going to cancel on them last minute because I've got a hangover. Removing alcohol has allowed me to be able to not feel guilty about working out also because when you don't drink, when you stop drinking, you gain so much time back. So when you are drinking, and again, this is not me being judgmental to anybody that still drinks and still does fitness, they can do what the hell they want. This is talking about kind of me and my journey and how I felt. Yeah. When I was still drinking and I was trying to fit in fitness with the kids and a full-time job and a husband that works away and a house to run, I felt so guilty taking time out of what was left to focus on myself so that I probably wouldn't do it. Yeah. Because I was in that mindset as well. I would use that then as an excuse. Oh, thinking of the kids, I'm not going to go for a run because that's tiny little window that I had to focus on myself. I felt guilty because ultimately, actually, what I was doing is there were probably another 20 hours of the week that I was actually using on myself by pouring wine down my throat, sat down at night time. Does that make sense? Yeah. That was actually plenty of time for myself, but I didn't, I didn't almost, it was as if that was unaccessible time. Does that, does that make that, sense? That makes sense. That really does. Yeah. Yeah. So in removing the booze, I've been able to focus on my goals. I've been consistent. I've lost five and a half stone coming up to now. Now that's not since I stopped drinking. It's three stones since I stopped drinking. That is phenomenal. And I know I've seen your before and after pictures and I urge anybody listening to look you up on Instagram at Sober Flourish and just have a look because you look so healthy now. It's been a big change, a huge change. So thank thank you for that. It really has. And it's it's not that I've stopped drinking and all of a sudden the weight's fallen off because it doesn't happen like that, does it? Some people, no. I've, I've heard of men that are kind of big, heavy beer drinkers, but that once they stop, they lose a lot of weight because there's a lot of calories in that, a lot of pints, et cetera. Whereas my drink towards the end was generally Prosecco. So kind of yeah. stop drinking four or five bottles of Prosecco a week. Yes, that's still a lot of calories. However, I used to do that thing that a lot of people do also is, is balance the two. I know I've got a heavy weekend coming up, so I won't eat as much in the week, which is also yeah. a really unhealthy behavior. So it didn't kind of stop the drinking, then it all fell off. It just created a hell of a lot of space and time for me to focus on myself. And because I had a hell of a lot of spare time, I now no longer feel guilty. It's also helped me have like more positive self-talk yeah. around that aspect of it as well. And that I now truly believe that if I don't treat myself as a bit of a priority and I continue to overlook myself and my feelings and my values and what I want to be doing, the kids get a really shit version of me. I, I can honestly say now with the risk of sounding overconfident and possibly a little bit cocky, I've never been a better version of myself for the kids. Never been a better version of myself for the kids. I do try and get the workouts out, out of the way very early in the day so it doesn't impact them as much now because I've got kind of a lot of plates to be spinning and whatnot. But yeah, so that is probably the number one thing that has had the biggest positive impact is my health and my fitness without a doubt. And I think it's important to have that conversation as well, because whenever I show, because I've lost nearly three stone and like you say, my weight started to come off because I was heavily restricting my eating. That was my go-to where I go to a restaurant and I'd order the fish when I wanted the burger, whereas now I order the burger. <laughs> I want the burger. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think 
it's really important to say that it doesn't just fall off, particularly for women. I'm 45 and there are other hormonal changes going on in my body. Three years ago, I had a baby, but having that energy, having the time, having the self-respect is probably the word I would use to say that you deserve to make sure that you've gone to the gym or that you're eating healthily rather than as you were talking about that self-punishment late at night of well sod it I'll just eat this crap or I'll drink this yeah and it does add up it it does add up it's just it's almost like a completely different brain that I had it, it feels like because of how much I've kind of maybe learned or taught myself or found over the over the last year, my brain doesn't think the same anymore. I mean, to be fair, my trainer, I feel like I do need to give him some credit because he has really educated me around the habitual side of things and drip fed in those habits and at the right time and slowly at the time where he knew that we could we, I say we, because it was an online group program, we could handle them at the right, it wasn't overwhelming. So I kind of look at things now and I think, is that going to be a tick in the box for the future version of myself? Or is that self-destructive and it's going to be three steps backwards? So I've, I've managed to reframe my thinking around things, which is so powerful and it's so important and it's not something can be taught overnight. It's something that needs to be practiced over and over and over again. Did you think of the future version of yourself as a drinker? Did you ever sit there and think of the consequences? No, no, no. It was just that night. It was that night. And have I got enough wine in the house until Monday morning? Yeah, I was the same. Isn't it so, such a narrow view that you have, isn't it, as a, yeah. as a drinker? You, you do. You, you, yeah, it, I've never thought of it like that. I didn't ever look forward. It was almost an unreachable destination. If I would think about the future, me, it was always tomorrow's problem, wasn't it? Yeah. It's almost it's not like, the diet Monday, that kind yeah. of thing. Always. And I'm not, again, it's not a sweeping statement about people that do drink, but it's that lack of responsibility, isn't it? Yeah. I didn't want to take responsibility. I didn't want to think, if I, if I thought about my health, I just started worrying, so I'd just stop. Mm. I did not want to take responsibility. I wanted to put my head in the sand and just carry on the way I was because that's what you do and that's what everybody else does. Mm. Definitely. I had things mixed up. I think my priorities were always around alcohol is bad for me because it makes me put weight on. That yeah. was literally the only negative that I kind of saw in it. And I wish you to say to, to my husband again, I keep saying my husband, because you're, you're, your husband's Dale as well, isn't he? He yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I sort of always used to say to him, if I could just get to my goal weight, I can drink all weekend. I'll be absolutely fine. I used to think things like that. I used to think, well, because I hadn't struggled so much with my weight until I had my second child. And that was when I just couldn't seem to shift the weight. I thought, well, it'll come off in a bit. It'll come off in a bit. And it didn't. And it just would not shift. And then I thought, well, maybe this is life. Maybe this is what 42, 43 looks like. And I just need to accept it. Mm -hmm. And I felt old and dowdy and unattractive. And, oh, just, I, I, I feel so sorry for that version of me because I wasn't, in any way who I really am you know Dale looks at me now and says god you know he can't believe it he said you're even 
more vibrant than when I first met you. You know, I've never seen you like this. All these Christmases have come at once, you know, because I'm now like <laughs> full of energy and jumping around and like, oh, yeah. you look so great. Yeah. Girl <laughs> often says you the, the best thing about you stop drinking is I actually get to see parts of your body now. Like you can see you, you'll walk around in your underwear, whereas I have not done that before. <laughs> Oh, my word. That yeah, is I so know. amazing. And, but, and I've not always been like that. It was very much kind of, again, since I had my second child since COVID hit, it was a whole culmination of a whole load of crap that was going on at that time. Work, personal life, COVID, two and a half year old at home, all that sort of stuff. And then it just gradually got worse and worse and worse and worse. I got bigger and bigger and bigger. The drinking became more and more regular. I was ended up taking medication for anxiety and that with the drink didn't work very well as as it's not never going to. And I just, yeah, I just got to this point on the 1st of January 2021, I think it was. And I was like, I saw that 16 stone on the scales and I was like, that that's me done now. I'm five foot four. I'm very little. 16 stone is 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 hefty for me. I've never been this heavy and I, I will never see this number again. But I look back now and I watch videos and stories or not necessarily stories. I wasn't very open about my kind of like fitness journey back then when I was when I was kind of bigger. But I, I see the videos of me like sharing my my fitness pal Ron and I'm all swollen and, and I'm thinking I'm really rooting for her. But I also feel so sorry for that version of myself because I was really trying. But then on Friday or Thursday it was just almost like it didn't matter anymore. And then it'd get to Monday again and I'd get my big body back into my lycra and I'd be pounding the streets, getting backache and poorly knees. And I just feel, feel sad for myself when I kind of look back to that version. But thank God I woke up. Oh my goodness. And you mentioned anxiety there. So I take it in sobriety. Have you noticed a difference now? This is another positive um, that I found. Yeah, it stopped. Only now if something quite severe it was to happen so if we've got my I've got an elderly grandparents and she's in and out with her her health and whatnot that's generally the only time it'll trigger a bit of anxiety just kind of when something really serious is kind of happening that's normal that, that is it's normal you know like a normal, normal level not normal an overwhelming level, level. Yeah. but I was taking beta blockers daily gosh especially on a Monday morning I would wake up I mean the, so I was taking anti it was actually antidepressants for anxiety at one spell but I decided to just stop taking them once I started falling over at night. Instead of like calming my booze down, I just decided to stop taking the antidepressants because, of course, it was those that was the problem and not the alcohol. Bizarre oh. mentality. But I did absolutely get into the habit of having beta blockers in a morning, especially on a Monday morning, because I would wake up and I'd had too much to drink on the Sunday night. Knew I'd got to get up, knew I got to go through presenting to the team on a Monday morning, all the numbers from the previous week. And I hate presenting numbers anyway. It's just not my forte. So, yeah, I would take beta blockers four o'clock in the morning, you know, that kind of pang of anxiety. You wake up and think, shit, take the beta blockers then, stop drinking. And it's just gone. I don't get it anymore. I don't feel anxious. I don't, I feel nervous, natural, normal nerves. But the levels of anxiety I used to get where I used to try and self-medicate every single day, it's just gone. It's just absolutely, it's like somebody has just rubbed out of that part of me. You don't, you, you don't get that anymore. And it is not because I'm fitter and I'm healthier because that didn't come until further down the line. This was instant. This was instantaneous. This is, I'm talking two to three weeks after stopping drinking. 
that just stopped for me. And I don't know whether, well, I do know that all of this is intrinsically linked around the fact that I'm getting more rest at night because I'm not drinking. There's a whole heap of reasons why, but you can't argue with the fact that that has just disappeared for me, which I think is absolutely incredible. And not enough people know the link between alcohol and anxiety. I drink because I'm so anxious. I drink because I'm stressed. And it's it's difficult to be as open and as honest as probably you and I really want to be at this point because you don't want to offend people and you've got to meet people at their starting point, haven't you? Absolutely, yeah. And it, it is about coming at it just going, I can't believe as a society that we're not educated about this stuff. It's not on a personal Very. level. It's why aren't we talking about the true risks of alcohol? Why aren't we talking about the cancer risks or you know, the fact that it is impacting anxiety, it does increase stress. Yeah, At the very base level, it impacts sleep. And sleep is so vital for our health. And do you think, I mean, I certainly feel once someone starts doing something about it, once we've actually got some of these health messages in places on labels on alcohol, or I don't know, the odd article here and there in actual mainstream news and media, I think we can chill out a little bit about it. But at the moment, we just know we're, we're kind of fighting the good fight. <laughs> yeah, we come across as conspiracy theorists. We I do, we think. absolutely do. And, and I know that there'll be a shift in kind of like my friends that used to perhaps watch a couple of podcasts here or listen to a couple of podcasts here and there. And I know that my style on social media does change and, and sometimes gets a little bit kind of on the edgy side of things. But ultimately, it's not a conspiracy. This is this is fact. This is yeah. actual real life and I know I mentioned in my post this morning you can keep ignoring it if you want to you absolutely can keep ignoring it but we're trying to kind of help I mean I it can't be a surprise if these if you do end up in a situation with a health implication induced by alcohol it can't be a surprise yeah and it's not fair for it to be a surprise it really isn't no. and I remember watching a documentary where they were talking about a woman who was drinking I think a bottle and a bit of wine a night and then she ended up with liver problems liver failure and she lost everything she lost her home she lost her children she lost her husband and she was living in a caravan I think and she was being interviewed and she said look if I'd have realized and I was a drinker at that point watching this documentary and I sat there thinking oh come on love we all know it can happen and then I thought hang on a minute no I don't know that it can happen after a bottle of wine a night you think of really extreme drinkers you think of people who are binge drinking or going on 24-hour benders that kind of thing you yeah. don't think about your average mummy wine culture person pouring a glass of wine at five o'clock because the kids are screaming you don't I'm sure it will change I'm sure that people will start talking about it more and then we can relax yeah because we don't have to bang the drum as loud although we'll probably still will Probably will, yeah. Yeah. Once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. I think that's where uh, that was my struggle. Once I read and saw, and I read some amazing books. William Porter, uh, Professor David Nutt. That book opened my eyes comparing drinking and smoking, and it scared me. It really did. I thought, well, there's no way I'd smoke five cigarettes. It is. It is super, super scary. I had a conversation with a friend a while ago, actually, and we were talking about, I can't remember what it was. It was a footballer had, we'd won something and he was all over the news. I can't remember. I can't remember. Jack Grealish. That was it. He was all over the news celebrating 
videos of him kind of being a bit sick and whatever but it was all glorified all over the news because they'd won it was man city they'd won i forget what they'd won and i mentioned in my friend group that it was really i found it really frustrating because my son's my eldest is 13 and he's massively influenced he's into football he's massively influenced by players and it was going through to him so he could see that jack is and the bbc were actually glorifying his behaviour. Oh, he's a young lad. But the, it, rather than him being a young lad and he's got himself in a state and he'll recover soon, da, da, da. It was in for probably four or five days consecutively that he was still on this massive long bender. I think it ended up being like a three day bender. But they put him on the front page showing him in this state still celebrating with no negative connotations whatsoever. And I sort of said on the, on the group, I'm finding it really frustrating. And one of my friends said, Oh, but it's it's not as if he's on drugs. Mm. It really, really bothered me. In fact, I did buy, and it's the first time on my girl group that I did sort of say, but it is a drug. It's that whole it's the whole narrative, isn't it, that that yeah. alcohol isn't a drug, whereas it is, and we know it is. Um, and there was me always boasting I've never done drugs, yeah. so I can't say that anymore. So your health and obviously your anxiety, your physical health, you're looking amazing. I can't say that enough. You're, you're absolutely you glowing. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, what is your second plus point of sobriety, would you say? I think I'd have to say my career and my productivity, to be honest with you. I've always been very, very career driven, even at the stages where I was drinking a bottle of wine every night when I was living on my own. I've always held down a full time job. It's always mattered to me. I've been in digital marketing for coming up 20 years now. It's a huge passion of me climbing the ladder and just making sure that I've kind of always got my A game at work. However, I've always drank at a weekend. Now I realise that I've never really been given 100%, especially where my drinking started bleeding into a Monday morning, not drinking on a Monday morning, but drinking to a Sunday night so that on a Monday morning I would get up and feel horrendous. Yeah. Um, although I say that I took the break because I wanted to lose weight, it was certainly one of the red flags having to wake up and start taking beta blockers just to be okay for work. That didn't align with my values. It didn't align with my kind of goals and where I wanted to take my job. Or having to hide a hangover. I think with us working from home as much as we do as well, it was very easy to be able to hide a hangover over a screen. You have some beta blockers, you throw the coffee down your neck, you make sure you've got enough food in your tummy and you sit, you light a candle, you've got your music on, you set your vibe up, have a shower, a little bit more sleep because you've only got to kind of come downstairs, do the school run and whatnot. It was when that kind of happened to me, I started to realise that that it was taking over. The alcohol was more of a priority than perhaps my, my work was becoming. So since I've stopped drinking my productivity at work has kind of it's, it's difficult because I don't want to kind of sound like I'm blowing my own trumpet but I am a better employee I am a better manager I am more articulate in my meetings I'm more considered I'm more prepared I actually yesterday got news that I got a promotion as well oh well done incredible because I've worked for the company where I work now for coming up to I think it's seven years this year I've managed to negotiate this promotion. It wasn't something kind of was handed over to me. It was actually, I recognised something and having to get them to also be on the same sort of page as me. And we're finally there. And that I got news of that yesterday. So if I was still drinking, there's not a cat in hell's chance that I would have had the self-belief to be able to negotiate and stand my ground and have those 
professional conversations that justified a promotion. So I, I can hand on heart say that wouldn't have happened if I was still drinking. Not a chance. That is amazing. And I think you are. You said you're a better mother. You're a better employee, a better manager. There's nothing that hasn't got better at all. Again, it's important to call out that, yes, it is fantastic. I do feel like I've been given another chance. My life bears no resemblance in some respects to how it used to, but doesn't get away from the fact that it is hard work. I'm really conscious of not glorifying sobriety. And like it's somebody waves a magic wand and all of a sudden you've lost five and a half stone, you've got a promotion, you've got the best relationship, blah, 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 blah. Yes, that can happen, but you've got to put the fucking work in. You really, do. You really and do. part of that is sitting with your emotions and feelings, isn't it? I think that's the being present and, and being that wonderful mum now and manager and working and everything's sort of falling into place. But there's been a lot of hard work in the background there, having to deal with those negative experiences in sobriety, haven't there? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And one of the things I think took me by surprise, actually, was the kind of around the, the, the grief element of it. Yes, I felt a bit of grief when I felt like my drinking days were taken away from me from bloody Alan Carr and his book. But more that there were a couple of events that I went to I went to in the summer. It was the grief element of it. And it's the grieving, the old version of me. And I can feel myself getting emotional about it now, actually. Anyway, but it's it's that version of you that you've almost not actually actively or willingly given up like you've not sort of said right okay that version of me has gone you might do now I've been forced to do that now but the first time that that wave comes I'd been to a party the next morning and it was a grief for not the having a drink and then worrying I've drank too much worrying I'm slurring how much have I got to drink for the rest of the night am I going to be sick am I too pissed am I making sense I didn't grieve that because who would I grieved the version of me, the party Jodie, the kind of turning up the same as everybody else with your bottle, getting stuck in, playing beer pong, being the last one awake, stood with the lads, drinking the same as the lads, being kind of the the kind of life and soul, always the one that's got the playlist or, or putting a better tune on or dancing around and whatever. Like I had to let go of that version of myself and I found that at stages quite hard and confronting. But again, it's just an emotion. It's another one of those emotions that you will face when you get sober. But it's critical that you learn how to face it and not give in and think, oh, sod it, I'll just have a drink next time and I'll feel like that person. I'll feel like that version. Yeah. There's a reason you're not that person anymore. And also I found as well is that actually give it a few more times and that version of you is very accessible without alcohol. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Do you feel you can still access party Jodie now? Yeah, I do, but I just know when to fucking go home. (laughs) (laughs) I just know when to leave. So we went to a place, I don't know whether you've you've heard of this or not, Bongo's Bingo. I haven't heard of that. Good. Keep it that way. You'll live the life happy without knowing. A whole heap of us turned 40 this year, and one of their wishes was to go to Bongo Bingo with the guys as well. And it's a place where they play all kind of like happy, hardcore music, stuff I used to love raving to when I was younger. From the second you get in there at like half past six until like 11 o'clock at night, it's one of the sticky floor kind of places. Oh. Floor. The music's massive. You can imagine the kind of prizes that they're giving away, like blow up dolls and that sort of thing. 
And you literally, the second you get there, you're, you're dancing on the benches the second you get in there. So can you imagine that's over? <laughs> no. So I did that in August. Honestly, I was dreading it, absolutely dreading it. But we had a really good night and I danced the whole evening. So can I still access that version? Yes, I definitely can. Will I do that again? No way. No <laughs> way. But I did it and it was good and we had a good night. And I've learned that actually it isn't the alcohol that gets me in a good mood. I'm very impacted by music. And if it's a good soundtrack, I'm all right with no hangover the next day. I think there's too many wins. There's mm-hmm. far too many wins in sobriety compared to the losses you have as a drinker. And you start to see that balance the further you get along the sobriety journey. You start to see it's like there's almost so much weight on the sober part of the seesaw. You just don't want to go back. You don't. You don't. It, you kind of you can probably count in, in half of a hand the positives of drinking. So if that is your second benefit of sobriety, what is your third? I think it it has to be relationships. Again, I'm going to squeeze another one in here, but it's relationships with myself and my husband. So we've kind of touched upon my relationship with myself. So I'll kind of come back to that one. But with Dale specifically, we used to argue like cat and dog when I had a drink. And it was always instigated by me. If I can tell you that I ended up switching what I drank because of my behavior, you'll kind of get a picture of that. Now I was never Larry. I wasn't feisty. I was just gobby. And Mm. I would kind of instigate an argument with him. So I used to drink red wine. And my mom always used to say to me that it makes you a bit nasty. But I always used to say it makes you nasty too. So we were a great combination. You can imagine, can't you? Both of us sat drinking red wine together. But she she was right. And as I got older, I did realize that because it probably got me more drunk. And then once I'd started that, to realize that I was drunk, I'd then probably get a little bit on the defense and a little bit protective over whether I was slurring or not. And then that was where I would start to kind of cause an argument with Dale so that he would leave me on my own in the living room to slur away or just watch my program on my own. So I ended up switching to Prosecco. But yeah, we used to argue when I would drink, for sure, without a doubt. And especially if we kind of like, if we went to the pub in the afternoon and had a couple of pints with the kids, then we'd do bedtime and we'd had like three pints. And I still, there's something in that, maybe one for another time, about parenting whilst you've had a drink in the pub and whatever, because that kind of still really blows my mind. It's something I'm not spoken about because it's a bit of a... Raw subject, isn't it, for for us? sure. But probably one we should crack open at some point. But yeah, so we would then start to bicker when we got home, when the kids are there, because we've not had dinner. We've not eaten yet, but we've had a few pints. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, I've been there. It, it was we, the amount of times we would wake up the next day. Now, Dale's not an argumentative person. He's, he's just not. And I used to think that I was actually an argumentative person. I just used to think I was fiery. And I used to think that that was just my nature. But it wasn't because I'm not like that now. Yeah. It was where alcohol was concerned. It was where alcohol was concerned and I'd had a drink. It was where alcohol was concerned where I was hung over the next day and I was defending my behaviour potentially. Like, oh, no, I didn't have too much to drink. I went to bed half an hour after you. And all Dell would do is just ask a question. And I was on the defence. How did Dell drink then? Did he drink as much as you? If we were watching a movie together... Towards the later days of my drinking, he'd increased his drinking. So he would get a bottle of white wine. 
he would drink a bottle of white wine over the weekend because he's a magician. Whereas I would drink the bottle of wine in the night and then the rest. So he would come to the pub and have a few pints perhaps and then would get home and he'd probably have a glass of white wine. And he would also nurse a wine all mm. night. He'd just sit with the wine. So his drinking wasn't the same as mine. So where I'm sort of writing in my notes, because I'm drunk and I know I'm not going to remember the argument the next day, I'm writing in my notes app on my phone so I can relay the argument to him. Well, he can bloody remember all of it because he wasn't pissed. I was. So, yeah, and then you'd kind of do this over and over again. And I think it just kind of dwindles away. Do you know what I mean? It kind of like, not the relationship dwindles away, but their respect for you. He would never admit it. He would never say it now because I think he'd think it would hurt my feelings. But I think I would have lost respect for him had it have been the other way around. Mm. Because we weren't at a place where we thought, oh, she can't help it because she's got a problem with drinking. That once she drinks, once she starts, she can't stop. Because that's how I look at it now. But then he probably wouldn't have said that. He he wouldn't have assumed that my drinking was problematic because it was so normalised to have a drink and then have a bottle and then a bit more. But I think that, yeah, I I think he must must have lost some respect for me, which is, it doesn't bode well for a marriage. I mean, we've been together now. What have we been? We've been married for 13 years now. Had we have been a newlywed couple, I don't think we'd have lasted. How bad things? got how how catty I used to get and I hated my body I I hated myself towards the end I just I wasn't fun to be around unless we were having a drink yeah if I was not having a drink I was resentful that I wasn't having a drink so when it got to the weekend the time I was fun time Jodie and I got a smile on my face and I was excited it's because I was having a drink it's just no way to live it's no way to live so in turn, that because my relationship with myself has got better and I've removed the alcohol, we're, we're probably better than we've ever been, to be honest, as soppy and sickening as that sounds. We're just best mates again. It's just fab. We've gone through some shit. We've had some shit hands dealt to us in the past and this is what we needed. And yeah, the relationship has never been better. That is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And how many, I've asked myself this, how many relationships, marriages are actually ending because, not because somebody's addicted to alcohol or somebody's a heavy drinker, just because 90% of the arguments that are happening are when somebody's had a drink. Yeah. And you're not in that same headspace. So many. I would imagine so, so, so many. I think we would have just carried on like that again because... There was no one there to highlight that that was the reason why we were falling out. When would we have come to that realisation? No, I I know. It's it's like a light bulb, isn't it? I mean, for us, it's been a light bulb. Um, Mm. You know, we got very bickery. And then you say, oh, well, that's because, you know, we've got a small child. We're not sleeping. She comes into the bed with us. So, you know, it's a whole other level, isn't it? Early parenthood and we're older, you know, all sorts of different reasons and excuses you can come up with rather than saying, actually, you're just drinking too much. Completely. I mean, both arses. That's it. That's it. I mean, this wasn't every night. This wasn't every night. And that we didn't kind of argue every single time I had a drink, but he got really good at recognizing, right, it's my time to leave now. Yeah. (laughs) Just going to go to bed. We can't believe how different our marriage is, but we had the experience in COVID where I was pregnant and I wasn't drinking, obviously. And that was in lockdown, thank goodness, because we had just stocked up just before lockdown and we gave it all away, gave all the alcohol away because he went sober with me then, fair play to him. 
and we just had the best year of our marriage and now we look back on it and went the sign was there oh the, yeah it was just so obvious yeah you just choose to ignore it don't you because it's it's what aligns with what you want to do at the end of the day so your marriage is 100% different now yeah, completely. I mean, we've always been pals. We've, I mean, we got together first time around when I was 15 and he was 18 and he was off to college and he went, he joined the Air Force in his early 20s. And we've always kind of been friends through different boyfriends and different girlfriends. And then when he got to 24, we got back together. And because we'd known each other forever and know each other's families, things kind of moved really quickly. Like we got Dexter within a couple of years, we were married within a year and moved in together really quickly. And we've always been, and again, had we not been such solid friends initially, I just don't think it would have lasted because we wouldn't have had as much empathy for each other and allowed as much, I don't think. But yeah, no couple's perfect, but alcohol certainly made ours worse. Yeah. And the relationship with yourself, talk a bit more about that. It sounds very dramatic, but I was at a point where I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I just, that didn't even enter my head. You know, sort of people say, oh, I look in the mirror and spat these affirmations about how much you love yourself. I was like, no. I don't look at, the only time I would look in the mirror would be to do my makeup. And that would be to look at my makeup whilst I was putting it on. I would never look at myself in the mirror, you know, truly look and see myself, like look in my eyes. That sort of thing used to freak me out because I, I I was not, I was just not aligned with who I wanted to be. My behaviours pissed me off. I was ashamed at my behaviours. And again, I wasn't out robbing banks or anything like that, but I was doing things that were taking me so far away from the version of myself that I wanted to be that I didn't recognise who I was. So it was almost like looking at a stranger. So again, that is a big change that now I've learned some self-compassion and I can trust myself again this goes back to the whole health and fitness and the working out when you say you're going to work out not drinking when you say you're not going to drink being there for the kids if they need me it's absolutely endless the amount of things now that I show up for myself for whereas I was such a low priority before does that make sense does that make sense I kind of, I can say, I I love who I am now. I love who I'm becoming. And it just bears a resemblance to who I was just before I stopped. Mel Robbins said recently, didn't she? um, The one way to build confidence is to do what you say you're going to do, to -hmm. keep your own promises. And as a drinker, I was constantly breaking my own promises. You know, I'd sit there and say, I'm not going to drink tonight. I'm not going to drink. It's a Tuesday. I'm not going to come five o'clock I'd completely caved because the addiction had kicked in completely and that's that's the other thing isn't it so that's the other big element of it where people say oh, I do really well all week and then I just get to Friday and then I'm like oh I'll just have a drink and that was one of the big things for me was the understanding around what that is what that that feeling is where that comes from why it's happening and what you can do to kind of squash it because once you understand that you can't keep using, oh, I do get to a Friday and then I have a drink. Well, you know why that's happening. So if you're choosing to ignore that, you're giving into that and you want to drink. So does your Dale still drink now then? So yeah, he will. He does have the odd odd drink every now and again. If we go, if we get invited to go out, he'll go and have a few beers perhaps. He was out at the weekend at a friend's and I picked him up and he'd had a, had a few drinks then. But if he was to sit at home now and watch football, he'd have an alcohol for a beer. He doesn't drink alcohol in the house and that's never been something that I've told him not to do or asked him not to do or anything like that he's just probably 
got sick of me banging on about it <laughs> because of the the negative impl- implications of it. But yeah, he he rarely rarely touches it at all. There's not been a bottle of white wine in the house, I don't think, apart from Christmas because last Christmas was my first sober Christmas. That was the only time I've seen him drink white wine since I quit in the last thirteen months. Um, and that must have been really interesting. So you you quit drinking just before Christmas then, or was it, it the was summer? August. It was the end of August. We got back from the um, all-inclusive and then we had three months and then it Christmas. And Christmas was hard. I found Christmas hard purely because I'm a massive control freak anyway, <laughs> which I'm working on. But we tried to arrange certain things at Christmas around, selfishly for me, around protecting my sobriety. Yeah, um, that's wise. That's very wise. But that didn't kind of happen like that. Certain family members still fly by the seat of the pants at Christmas. I'm like, I'm very organised. I need, I've got, as I'm sure you are as well, kind of busy mom. I've got things that need to happen and I need to plan and be organised. Otherwise, something's not going to get done. It's just the way that I kind of work. Christmas is a relaxing time, but it's a relaxing time for me if I've got a bit of organisation and know where we are and who we're visiting on what day, because otherwise there's too much to fit in and you can't fit all of that in in that period. So yes, the ad hoc guests arriving and ad hoc invites, and then you're kind of questioning whether you're being selfish and feeling guilty for sort of saying no to certain things. Because for me, I was trying to arrange meetups with people. So we'd seen everybody over Christmas, but then those same people would then send a random message last minute and say, oh, we're having drinks at such and such. Do you want to come? But because of where I was at, Dale wasn't where he is now. And he wanted to do all that jolly Christmas, boozy everybody getting rat assed. So I then had that guilt of being the one that was sort of saying no and questioning why I was saying no. So I I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for Christmas just then, but I did a good job of it. It was okay. We managed it. Well done. I managed it, but I was a bit, still a bit resentful at that point. I knew I wasn't going to drink, but I was still resentful of other people that were at that point. And you have to get to that point where you're looking at people that are drinking, not with any judgment, but Mm. just thinking I don't want to do that and yeah. you know if I said to you do you think you're ever going to drink again never nothing 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 could make me do why would I mm. why Why would I want to do that to myself we do all of these things and spend so much time and energy and effort on trying to be healthy why why would I do that when they've all all of these scary scary health statistics arising now and we've barely scratched the surface because the funding just isn't there to really get under the surface of it why would I why why would I want to do that I don't I'm not trying to escape from anything anymore I'm not trying to numb anything out because I've I've managed to face digest unpack live with deal with and put certain toolkits in place to to kind of handle certain situations I don't want to numb it out anymore because otherwise I'm going to be numbing it out forever yeah, it's not a simple decision, is it? I wouldn't normally ask somebody that question, but it's only because we've had that conversation mm-hmm. before we started recording in that I have exactly that same mindset in the same way that I wouldn't want to smoke again because mm-hmm. that one cigarette would lead to me smoking for the rest of my life. And I know that and I know how it feels now to be a non-smoker. I know how it feels now to be a non-drinker. And the vanity element, I am really chuffed with the way that I look now with how my skin is how my hair is and if that's going to keep me sober I'm perfectly happy with that exactly it's absolutely amazing thank you so much for joining me it's been really really lovely you talk about your sober heroes I've been following you for ages 
Uh, it's really strange to actually get to talk to somebody that you've been following and watching. So well, it's hopefully this been... won't be the last time. Hey? Oh, very much. I think we will probably have very regular chats. Definitely. We're very similar and we've both got a husband called Dale. So that helps. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for sharing your benefits of sobriety. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I've loved it. So thank you so much to Jodie for spending the time talking to me today. If you want to find out more about her, Jodie's Instagram handle is Sober Flourish. You'll find the link in the show notes. And just to remind you that this podcast is simply a look at what it means to be sober. It isn't designed to lighten the subject of alcohol use disorder, rather to show there is light at the end of the tunnel for anyone considering sobriety. Because there are so many benefits. It's for the purpose of inspiration and entertainment and not a replacement for therapy. Alcohol use disorder is a serious subject. So if you're struggling, then please seek the help of a trained professional. And don't suffer alone. Until next time, take care.